I want some answers, okay? I mean, first of all, you know, you, uh, you push a car faster than my mother drives, okay? Uh, uh, you use ice like other people use band-aids, and, 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 and then you just, you run through walls. Now, I'm sorry, you know, but this is not normal human behavior. Hello and welcome. Welcome and hello. This is, wait, you haven't seen? It's a show where we talk about movies and specifically we talk about a movie at least one of us has never seen before. I'm your host Travis, aka TV's Travis. This is episode number 147 and the movie this week was Universal Soldier from 1992 starring Jean-Claude Van Damme and Dolph Lundgren. And here to talk with me about it is Nisbet. Nisbet, how are you doing? Good. 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 So you had never seen this movie before. No, I had not. Uh, I hadn't even known that this was a thing. I think I may have heard the title like once or twice, but really not much past it. Um, oh, so you were really unfamiliar at, I, with it. Also looking at IMDb, I didn't realize how many of the things there were too. That's something we'll get into um, for sure. <laughs> uh, so yeah. so you were, mean, you were really unfamiliar with this movie. Okay. Um, yes. yes. So this movie came out in 1992. Um, and it was, uh, it shows, yeah, it, it, as I said, it stars Jean-Claude Van Damme and Dolph Lundgren, and it was directed by Roland Emmerich. Um, and if the name Roland Emmerich, for those of you listening, doesn't uh, immediately jump to mind as a director that, you know, you've seen his movies. He directed, um, Independence Day, Day, uh, Stargate, um, actually both Independence Days, 2012, 10,000 BC. Um, he... He he is known for uh, a lot of kind of uh, disaster movies, I guess would be. Uh, the Day After Tomorrow is his. Godzilla from 1998, the American Godzilla, um, was his as well. Um, but he's also done things like uh, White House Down was one he did recently. Um, Stonewall Anonymous, which was about William Shakespeare. Um, the Patriot with Mel, uh, that was Mel Gibson, I think. Yes. Um, yes. So he, Roland Emmerich has been uh, very prolific. Uh, 24 films to, to his name at this point as a director. A couple of those are um, announced. Uh, he's got one coming out next, or this year now, this year, 2022, uh, called Moonfall, which I've seen the trailer for a bunch of times. It also looks like one of his kind of end of the world disaster movies. He likes that oh. for some reason. Yeah. I, he seems to be the guy to make those kinds of movies. So when, you know, it's like with Universal Soldier or next week's movie. It's like, okay, that's a little bit out of his wheelhouse. Yeah, it's a and different yet he thing. Does well, with them still, so it's like, is it like you know the director version of typecasting? <laughs> Some of it is that. So, so this was his first American film. He's German, um, and he had done a couple of movies prior to this one. Uh, one that was called Moon Forty Four. That was kind of the movie that sort of got him this job. Um, Moon 44 got a lot of uh, flack for sort of ripping off Aliens and Blade Runner in its style, uh, like the look of it. And I've seen, I've never seen the movie, but I've seen a few clips from it and I can definitely see where people would say that. Like it's got a very, it feels like a, like a knockoff Blade Runner kind of motif. Um, yeah. But he got this job, he did do Universal Soldier and this isn't, interesting movie for me 
And I think the reason that I find it as an interesting movie is it's sort of what you expect it's going to be. And it kind of also isn't what you're expecting it to be at the same time. Yes. The, the, the opening act is, is a little gritty. Well, I've got, (laughs) I've got some things to say about that, but before we do, I do want to talk about, because this is a Jean-Claude Van Damme movie. We can't, we can't bury the lead. We got to talk about him. So, so you didn't, you weren't that familiar with this movie, but you know who Van Damme is. Yes. I know who Van Damme is because I'm expendables and I've heard his name and a few other things. Um, I haven't watched that many of his. Okay. Um, but I mean, at least I'm familiar enough with his style of movies that he tends to be in. Um, this, this fits. Yes. This fits to a T. So he had gotten his, his break with Bloodsport in 1986. Okay. And after that, it was a string of um, very uh, martial arts kickboxing related uh, films. It was... He had done a few movies before Bloodsport, uh, including one that's actually been on an episode of Mystery Science Theater 3000 um, called No Retreat, No Surrender, which is awesome. He plays a a Russian kickboxer um, and this kid who idolizes Bruce Lee um, kind of thing. It's it's interesting. But uh, but Bloodsport, he did a movie called Cyborg in 1989. Um, Kickboxer, Lionheart. He's done a couple of movies where he's played twins. Uh, including Double Impact. Uh, mm. So this movie came out in 1992. He was on the rise at this point. He had been in uh, between Bloodsport, Kickboxer, um, Death Warrant, Double Impact. They had been popular enough uh, action films and martial arts films um, that he was kind of on the rise. And this sort of led into, he did Universal Soldier, uh, Nowhere to Run, Hard Target was another one. He did Time Cop. Um, he played Colonel Guile in the Street Fighter movie. Uh, and he had gone on to do Sudden Death um, and then a movie called The Quest. Double Team, he did. Uh, and, and then, like, it was weird because he had a very quick rise, peak, and then he kind of fell off box office-wise with uh, Double Team, which is a movie he did with NBA star um, Dennis Rodman at the time, as well as a movie called Knock Off. And then all of a sudden... After 1999, nothing he made got put in theaters. He went like nine years without a movie that got a theatrical release, but he was still pumping stuff out. He was doing a lot of directed video. Yeah. Um, he's had a bit of a resurgence, a bit of a renaissance in his career recently. It's it's interesting because I don't think he's ever been overly serious about like taking himself too seriously, but... yeah. That's what always seems like that he's not one who takes himself too seriously, but he takes at least takes the work Mm -hmm. seriously enough. So, I mean, that that's, um, that's definitely a positive thing. Oh, sure. And he battled some depression in the mid mid to late nineties, as well as uh, substance abuse. He got hooked on cocaine pretty bad. Oh, Um, well, and I've actually heard a lot of stories that things like, um, in street fighter, he was, uh, just blowing money on cocaine left and right and, and stuff like that. And I don't, I don't know too much about the backgrounds of that. So I don't want to, I don't want to over, overdo those stories, but he definitely is known to have had some issues. He's gotten, things are much better now. Um, but he, Van Damme in the nineties 
was a go-to when you needed an action star. And it's interesting because he's not, he's Belgian. He doesn't have the greatest, especially in, at this era, the, the greatest English, but he's passable. But he wants to do well, and I think he really dove into roles. And the funny thing about this movie is he's meant to be robotic. And so yeah. in a lot of ways, his wooden acting helps him here. Yes. Oh, yes, it does. And I think um, even his not really being able to speak that English that well, I mean, like you said, passable. But I think that also helps him here, too. It, um, yeah. It, and it, it, it's really weird to say that. It feels really, really weird to say that. But yeah, no, it feels like his not complete knowledge of English and then, you know, his wooden, his style of acting sort of has aided him in this movie, which is rather interesting. It is. I, I did actually see some behind the scenes stuff with um, Roland Emmerich and the one of the writers, Dean Devlin, who's a friend of Roland Emmerich's. And they talked about how after they cast Van Damme, they had to rework the script because it was a lot wordier and there was a lot more kind of verbose language. And then they would be working with Van Damme and Emmerich would be like, no, no, we got to cut some lines down. And so they kept shortening down all his lines. So they were these like very monosyllabic things, um, which I thought was funny. And it does make some of the moments in the in the movie even kind of much more humorous. Um, Oh, yeah, for sure. But it, it's really crazy to see behind-the-scenes footage of Van Damme in this era because he's he was known as a martial artist um, first and then an actor second. So, And when you watch him in stuff, it, he has a very wooden acting style, and you would think that he would be kind of this self-serious and sort of very wooden person, and he's not. He's super like just loose and having fun all the time, when, but... but watching behind the scenes for this movie, like as soon as they'd go action, he would just, you know, robotic. And so he, that makes me appreciate his performance a little bit more because that's what he's really going for yeah. is to be overly robotic um, in a lot of ways. Cause look, this is a B movie. I mean, it's what this is. This is a B sci-fi movie. This was made for like $23 million, I think. So uh, not, yeah. not a small budget, not a, not a, uh, you know, tiny budget film by any stretch but it's a independent film it was Karolko that produced yeah. it so it wasn't a studio film and you know it is what it is it's kind of a cheesy sci-fi idea which is what Emmerich is good at um yeah and I think Van Damme yeah. fits for what they were going for in this the reason I think that he works too and tell me if I'm wrong on this or if you disagree but I think that having Jean-Claude Van Damme who is a physical presence and he's very much being very robotic and very wooden uh, in, in a lot of ways on purpose. Having him opposite Dolph Lundgren, who is chewing up the scenery and just, just yes. going no, for that, it. It was a nice, it, it was a nice balance. It was a nice counterbalance to Dolph Lundgren. That was, or rather probably the other way around is probably more accurate. Lundgren was a, it was a nice counterbalance to Van Damme. Mm-hmm. Um, like you said, because he was just chewing up the scenery and it just, it was, it fit. It fit really well, especially with Lundgren's character. So it's like, okay, no, th- this works really, really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Dolph Lundgren is somebody that I don't think gets enough credit as an 
actor. Um, no, because I no. honestly I think he's pretty good. He, he yeah no he was very good in this. I enjoyed this. He played the crazy quite well. Mm-hmm. Oh for sure. I well, mean, you know it, it, it's it's fun because he said in an interview he's like, look, getting to play the bad guy is great. You get to ham it up. You get to go way over the top. <laughs> And you get to just explore more. And so that's what he got to do here. And I mean, the first time you see him, he's sewing an ear onto a necklace and he's got his, yeah. his necklace of ears. It's like, oh, yeah. okay. Yep. This guy's, uh, I mean, honestly, that one scene, seeing that tells you pretty much everything you need to know about his character right there in that one scene. It does. And what I like too, is he's, he's just straight up bad guy. But he's not yeah. quite one note. Like he, not only is he a bad guy, but he's having fun while he's doing it. Um, yes, yeah. And it's it's little moments. It's little little smirks, little sneers. Um, his fist pump after he throws the uh, grenade at the end of the movie yeah. was was yep. one of those moments. Also, I like the fact that he th- actually threw a grenade the way that you would, which is like a baseball, instead of yeah. the kind of stiff arm throwing you see in so many movies. Um, but. Yeah, I just like Lundgren again is one of those. He is a physical presence. He's six foot five. You know, he's just built like a truck, and he's a martial artist too. He was a, a national um, champion uh, martial artist growing up in Sweden, and he traveled and all sorts of stuff like that. And went to, I think he won competitions in Australia, all this kind of stuff. He kind of his story is interesting because he sort of backed into Hollywood. He didn't set out to do that. Um, oh really yeah he did martial arts uh, but his father and his brother were chemical engineers so he went to college for chemical engineering and his story is that he he had done you know uh, competitions in martial arts and all this and then he was he had gone you know to school here for a little bit and he went here and he had he actually had a scholarship to mit he was really yeah he was, he was going to go to MIT. He moved to New York for six months before going up to Boston to go to MIT. And while he was there, he met Grace Jones and became friends with her, started dating her, uh, and sort of got into the movie business and basically did, as he puts it, uh, a cattle call for uh, Rocky Four and managed to um, eventually win the part of Ivan Drago and immediately is instant just international superstar from that one movie. Yeah. And has gone on to do uh, 99 film credits. A few of those are post-production, haven't come out yet, but still he's got well over 90 film credits to his name for a guy who didn't set out to be in Hollywood. Um, Which is impressive. It is. It is. And, uh, you know, he, I, I honestly, I like, anytime I see him on screen, I think he does a really good job because he genuinely like just wants to do well and yeah. he's putting himself into the role. Um, but yeah, he is, people don't realize he is not only, uh, this giant mountain of a man, but he's incredibly intelligent and he is, I think he has a master's degree in chemical engineering. Well, I mean, it, that, that kind of a thing kind of reminds me of, I forget the actress's name from big bang theory. Who actually went and got a degree in oh yeah my um biolic yeah yeah yep. who basically went and got that de- a degree in in physics or whatever it's like okay <laughs> it's uh it's like, it was a biology of some kind I can't remember if it was microbiology yeah. or something else but yeah um it's like okay 
It's like, my respect for you just shot at 20 points. So, so Universal Soldier was also fairly early in Lundgren's career. He had done yeah, uh, Rocky. He had done Rocky Four. He had done Masters of the Universe as He Man. Um, uh, a movie called Red Scorpion. He did the uh, the Punisher back in 1989, which is a lot of people forget about that movie because it movie wasn't very good. Um, yeah. But uh, he had done a movie called Showdown in Little Tokyo the year before Universal Soldier. Um, he did a lot oh, of. I remember hearing about uh, show, little. Yeah, I think I remember hearing about that one. Yeah, that was him and um, Brandon Lee was in that. Yes. Okay, that's why. And he kind of had a similar career to Van Damme in that he was in a lot of movies and then all of a sudden just for whatever reason, couldn't get cast in anything that was going big screen. So he did a ton of direct-to-video stuff in the late 90s and early 2000s, and it took a while before he started kind of getting back um, into theaters. I think The Expendables was the first movie he had done that was a theatrical release in like 10 or 12 years or something um, when he played Gunnar Jensen. Uh, And then he went on to, you know, get into a couple of... uh, couple of other small movies and TV series. I remember him showing up in a season of uh, Arrow as a character, Constantine Kovar, which, by the way, Lundgren, I'll tell you what, for somebody, if I could age the way Dolph Lundgren has, I would love that. <laughs> I mean, you you listen, look at... Listen, you, there's a number of... <laughs> there are a number of actors who it's... You aged way the hell too well. <laughs> cut it out. No, that's true. But I mean, oh. you look at you look at Lundgren in like 1984, and he's 26, 27 years old, and you know he's just he looks like an Adonis. And I look yeah. at him now, and he's just and he's still that way. He looks amazing, but he just looks so grizzled now. Like he looks like a yeah. hardened. Uh, having him play like a Russian, um, Konstantin Kovar was like a Russian kind of mafia type, yeah, uh, in Arrow, and he's perfect for that. Like you, you honestly believe that he could just pound you into the sand with his bare fists. And, yeah. you know, he's got the martial arts background to back that up. Um, but he, I, I, I mean, he's my favorite part of this movie. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, Dolph Lundgren is like just, yeah. Yeah, he's, he's, he, so, he's, he's having so much fun. Oh, yeah, and you can tell he's having a lot of fun, too. That's the other thing, too, is, is was, some actors you can tell when they are when wow when they are or are not having fun mm-hmm. and him he's yes he's very very clearly having fun yeah he's just like, going for it and i like, dig that he's just taking it up to the 11th degree is okay cool <laughs> yep um so ali walker plays veronica roberts she is the uh reporter Which, that character i i i it was like nails on a chalkboard with me with her <laughs> Like, just every single time, just between, and granted, times have changed, I know, but between the smoking and then just some of the, the, her approach to reporting, because I'm used to more of the old school, I guess, Mm -hmm. when it comes to reporting. Like, today's reporters and whatnot just annoy the crap out of me. But, I mean, I'm talking going back as far as, like, the sixties and seventies kind of reporting. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the era and style I prefer. And 
So with her, it was nails on a chalkboard in like three or like three or four different ways. Her style of reporting, her um, just just some of the things that she did. It's like really well. So. Like, so her character going into the you know the classified okay I get you going after <laughs> story sure but really yeah really? so her character uh, number and, one yes or no maybe maybe you won't notice this or not I don't know but she reminded me of Meg Ryan in this a lot like I got a very yes. Meg Ryan yes. feel to her um, yes which is fine but. It, her character is is one now Dean Devlin who wrote uh, this movie uh, and helped rewrite the script um, he writes characters like her a lot whether it's uh, uh, characters like um, I mean he wrote Independence Day Godzilla Stargate and you see this type of character pop up which is sort of annoying not so much in Stargate because there wasn't really that character there but like right who is it in in Independence Day uh, Independence Day. Who was it, that character? Because it was a little bit of Jeff Goldblum and a little bit oh. of like Goldblum's um, uh, boss. Oh, um, yeah. And you know, in Godzilla, it's everybody that works at the TV station. Um, yeah, and kind I of all the reporters. Now. But you're I can. I can definitely understand how she can be very grating. She's supposed to be sort of the emotional center of the film in a lot of oh, ways. Yeah. yeah, no, I got that much. I got that she was supposed to be the emotional center. It's just, for me, it's when you have all of the emotion of the entire movie centered on one person, it's like, okay, well, you have this giant peak, and it's like, no, no, <laughs> no, spread it out some more. Well, I think it's because... Yeah, it, it, a lot of it is because the character of Luke Devereaux, played by Jean Claude Van Damme, he he's yeah. he's supposed to be vulnerable. He's supposed to be kind of lost a little bit. Yeah, I don't. That shows through. Yeah, and I don't. I don't know that uh, that Veronica was. I don't. It felt like there were story thread points that never kind of got picked up, but we're sort of supposed to assume there's kind of a romantic thing going on between them, but sort of isn't. Like it's never fully addressed, but yet they're kind of embracing I at the end got of the movie. Of romance between the two of them, though. That's the thing. Well, no, because they never they they don't set anything up. But then the end of the movie, they're like, he's he's very concerned about her, but she's also very concerned about him, and they're embracing like they had a romantic like it's weird oh, it's it's yes. kind of weird the way they did that so yes they left a few open doors that yeah yeah this was I also see. this was also an early movie for her in her career uh she has uh 50 something credits to her name but she had done she had done some TV series um TV movies but this was kind of her first big movie um, kind of Hollywood or, you know, anything like that. Um, she had done, I guess, a film the year before, Eye of the Storm. But before that, everything was, you know, a couple episodes of L.A. Law or True Blue or Matlock, that yeah. kind of thing. Um, and she went on, she's done more, I'd say, television. Uh, Profiler was her big one, Dr. Samantha, um, Sam Waters and Profiler. Uh, i trying to remember if I've seen Profiler. 
Profiler was one right around the time of the Pretender. Um, oh kinda... no, no, it, it, no! That was one. No, I was would have been just a wee bit too young for that one. Yeah. Um, you know, now I mean, lately she's been doing things like Ghosted or Longmire or um, the Protector. She was on for for a little bit. Um, so you know, it she was fine, I think, in the movie for me, but I can hundred percent see how she would be annoying too. And I think in a lot of ways she's written that way. She's written to be. Yes. Oh yeah. No, 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 I didn't, it, I didn't assume it to be the actress. I assumed it to be the character and the writing of the character. Cause usually if it had been an actress that I find more annoying, yes, it, I would have been a lot more worse, but th- it was dulled by the fact of, it was clearly not the actress. It was very, very clearly the act, uh, the character, mm-hmm. and the way that it, the character was written. So, yeah, and I mean they're doing the tropey. Yeah, they're doing the tropey stuff like, oh, she smokes, but then she she can't have a cigarette for a few days. But at the end of the movie, oh, you know what? Maybe I'll quit. Uh, which is a very Dean Devlin uh, writing thing, writing trick that he likes to use. I've seen him do that in other movies where whether it's uh, yeah. I think didn't Stargate, they, they did they, it. Yeah, I was going to say, they did it in Star, Stargate, because I remember that. Um, but yeah. It's been I, years I, since I've seen that movie, but I, need, I do remember that much. Yeah, I mean, she's fine. I have no problem with, with Allie Walker. No, she's she's very fine. She's, yes, she's fine. A um, couple other folks I want to mention from the cast. Uh, a character who was basically wasted in this movie, I feel, had ba- had essentially one scene and I feel like should have had more is uh, Jerry Orbach as Dr. Christopher Greger. Um, yes. Yes. There was more, there was more fat chew there. Oh, for sure. They, didn't, they did not take it. No, they did not. That was, uh, that was a very, very much missed opportunity. Um, also doesn't hurt that I like Jerry Orbach. Oh, right. I mean, look, if you put Lumiere in your movie, use him more. Okay. Just use yes. He deserves yes. that. Um, and I do have some things I'll talk about uh, a little bit with with his character in a minute. Uh, but before I do, if I don't mention these two, uh, I'll just feel terrible about myself. Um, uh, GR-55, one of the Universal Soldiers, was played by Tommy uh, Tiny Lister Jr. Um, he's only on screen for a couple of shots, but he's definitely there. Um, he just recently passed away. He was. Um, I know his name. Hold on. Uh, t- wait, he was is... in. Uh, he was in Friday as Debo. He was the president uh, of the galaxy in uh, the Fifth Element. Fifth Element. That's why. That's why Fifth Element. Uh, he was uh, Zeus in No Holds Barred. He's. He was great. He was a very imposing figure. Another one of these six foot five, just built like a yeah. like a tank guys. The yeah. funny. The funny bit of trivia with him is number one. Obviously, he's cast in this movie because he's huge. And you just want somebody yeah. big and intimidating looking, but he's blind. He was blind in one eye, and so if you ever watch the movie again, the scene at the beginning where all the Unisols are kind of lined up um, and they all have their headpiece on, his is the opposite of everyone else's because they had to put the eyepiece over his bad eye so he could actually see. Because originally he would have been completely <laughs> blind. Um, so he was great, and then Rolf Moeller was GR-76. He was the other giant um, Unisol. He was the only one, actually, that survives after the gas station. And then he's the one that grips the the grenade and it blows up. Um, And he's 
just another one of these guys. He's a mountain of a man. Uh, and you might remember him. He was in Gladiator. Um, as okay. one, of, one of the, the yeah. Gladiators, the big German one. He was also yeah. in, uh, he had a small role in Beer Fest, if you ever saw that movie, from Broken Lizard. Um, that's great. But he's one of those where you see him show up on a, and I see him show up in a movie, and I'm just like, I like Ralph Muller. He's just, he's got a cool look to him. Plus, he's just freaking massive. Like, Yeah, he is. And, and that alone, oh, yeah. for me, is it sometimes enough, just that screen presence, just to see somebody on screen that's just that big and that imposing it's like all right yeah cool i i, I dig it um yeah and they dubbed over his voice in this movie which was kind of annoying that's okay <laughs> like they let they let uh jean-claude van damme go but uh they had to dub over the german guy for some reason um or it certainly sounded like it if they didn't um also uh a quick note on van damme i almost forgot about this when they cast him uh, they also changed the backstory of the character to have him be from Louisiana, and have him. Have, oh yeah, I did. Uh, know I I kind of I was wondering about that because it's like okay, well Louisiana is a little bit of a uh, choice, but then when you hear him speak, it's like oh no, that makes more sense. Belgium mm-hmm. being relatively closer, relatively close to France. Okay, well that's you know that yeah with Louisiana being the bayou and whatnot, it's like okay, no that that's yep. Uh, and also his father at the end of the movie, um, who's uh, named John, uh, is played by Rance Howard, which is um, Ron Howard's father. Yes. Yes, so, it is. I thought that was kind of a cool little little thing because he popped up and I hadn't seen this movie in, in a few years. And I had completely forgotten that he was in it. And I'm like, wait a second. I know that face. But for some reason, the name Rance Howard wouldn't pop into my brain. But I'm like, it made my brain itch. And so I had to I had to make sure I found it. And I'm like, okay, it was Rance. Rance Howard. Yeah. Uh, it was just cool. Um, so I mentioned this is a definite, like, complete B movie. And if you... And it, in some ways, it has those elements of an A. Of a, of a a it does. I mean, it's a, it's a big, you know, sci-fi action film, right? It's... I, I think really... It, it, and I can think of a few other... Um, at least one other movie that comes to mind that it's technically a B movie, but has a lot of elements of an A movie. And the only thing that held it back was the budget. And I feel like that's the case here. Mm -hmm. I feel like it was the budget that held it back from being something better. I think so. I mean, it was a roughly $23 million budget. However, um, it made uh, almost a hundred million dollars worldwide. Yeah. It did really well. Um, Yes. But it, it's a it's a B movie uh, in a lot of ways, and and a lot of that comes down to your enjoyment of this movie is going to be completely on how much you can suspend your disbelief. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, also keep in mind, you know, Roland Emmerich, just about every single movie he does, that's the case. It's it's you're, it's going to be based on how how well you can suspend your disbelief. This is true. Uh, and he definitely has done that more and more over the years, but like, yes, it, it, it has basically become the Roland Emmerich trope of, okay, (laughs) (laughs) you have to suspend all disbelief for this thing to work. Okay. Yeah. This is one of those movies where it's like, okay, so things are going to happen in it and we're just not going to explain at all. We're just going to hand wave it all away. Um, you know, the, so the, the plot 
surrounds um, DOA sol- or dead soldiers, and they're being resurrected for this program as Unisols, universal soldiers. Yeah. Um, how they do that? Apparently, magic. Um, they have uh, they have some sort of process by which they can hypercharge the body's cells but they have to run them super hot in order to do that. So they have to cool down, but they can regenerate. And we're just, that's it. That's all what we're told is, well, we found out a process how to do this. Okay, cool. How does that work? And they just never say <laughs> at all. Um, and they've got muscle enhancers so they can be super strong and super fast. And But they have to uh, erase their memories. How do they do that? Some ma- magical green serum that they get injected with. Um but they, these soldiers are like perfect soldiers, right? They obey all commands, um, or at least they should. They are super strong, super fast. What is it? They swim a mile and a half in like four minutes when they when, at the opening scene when they go to the Hoover Dam. Um, all this kind of stuff. But yeah, you got to suspend some disbelief because they apparently can survive a lot, uh, or at least Andrew yeah. Scott could. Uh, the other ones died in the explosion. Um, although there's another thing is some suspension of disbelief because things will blow up and it doesn't affect anybody. Yeah. Because I'm sorry, the size of that explosion at that gas station, nobody there is alive after that. No, yeah, no. Everybody <laughs> either from burnt lungs or just, you know, pure just, okay, well, now you're barbecue. Yeah, or the shockwave alone would or be Or the shockwave. Um, but that's fine. Like it's, it's nineties Hollywood. So there goes, disbelief goes right out the window. You just, uh, you just sit back and enjoy it. But you had mentioned how the opening of the movie was really dark. Yeah. Well, I mean, to be fair, so was the uh, last, what, five minutes of the movie? Yes. Five, 10 minutes of the movie. So, I mean, it kind of bookended itself really nicely that way. (laughs) True. True. Um, but yeah, the opening to this movie if you've never seen it before, and especially for audiences in like 1992, it's interesting to have your two like all. If you're an uh, just a moviegoer and it's 92, and you're looking at movies, you're seeing a trailer maybe or something. All the marketing you're seeing for this movie is Jean Claude Van Damme and Dolph Lundgren, and the movie opens, and within five minutes they're both dead. Like that's crazy. That's a weird, weird thing yeah. to do. Yeah. for that time period. But not only is that weird and like the 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 photography that they used very dark to look like a jungle, which by the way, that uh, stuff set in Vietnam um, during the war was shot on a golf course. I was going to say, no, there was no way that they got anywhere near a rainforest because holy fuck, could you tell that? Oh, hey, there was some little tells of, okay, well, that's a fucking sidewalk. So, yeah, they, they shot it at a golf course. Uh, honestly, they did a good job dressing the set, given that they shot yeah, the whole thing did. in a desert. Um, but it's also dark and, like, he comes to this village and all the people in the village are, are have been killed. And they've all had their ears cut off. And here's the yeah. sergeant who's lost it. He has gone way past the deep end. And yeah. he's making a necklace out of ears and he thinks everybody is a traitor and he's just, he's gone. He's completely gone. So you got one soldier who just wants to go home. He's like, my tour is up. I just want to go home. I'm done with this. And the other one who can no longer handle what's been going on in this war. And he's snapped and he's lost it. And they kill each other. 
and then they're found the next morning and they become part of a secret project and it apparently takes 25 years for it to, to come to fruition. Um, meanwhile, they don't age at all, but right. what, or DK. Yeah. Or DK. Well, that's, you know, they're hypercharged, right? They're supercharged and they just keep them on ice all the time, I guess. Um, I honestly want more of the stuff that happened between Vietnam and present day yeah. Then I did kind of what was taking place in present day, because really once we get to present day, it becomes kind of a chase movie, um, which is fine. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that, but no, it's, I, there was just a lot missing in the 25 years. It's like, okay, well give me some of those 25 years. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, well, it's like, I need more information. What happened? Come on. How did, how did it work? How did they train them? What did they have to go through? Because, there were some subplots in this that got dropped. You can tell from a lot of dialogue, especially in the first half of the movie, there was uh, a part of the script at one point that dealt more with kind of shady government operations and the military being sort of the bad guys behind everything. Um, More than they they were. They even hinted at that with the Colonel. With a lot of the Colonel's lines of, oh, hey, way the hell off the books? Okay, well, that means blackouts that means that you're all your asses are all going to jail if not you know Fort Leavenworth for life yeah and and there was a a good bit of that like uh that apparently in the original cut he was more more apt to tell the unisols to like shoot people uh and shoot to kill and whatnot and and it, it, it kind of had like a thing where the military were one thing, but the scientists behind the program didn't want to necessarily go in that ride because the, the character of Woodward, played by Leon Rippey, um, seems less likely. He's like, you know, we should take this guy out of the program. He's he's seeming more cautious. Um, yeah. But the colonel's like, no, he stays in the program. No, we're, we're doing this. There was a different ending to this movie. Now, we really? don't we don't uh, we don't worry about spoilers here especially a movie this old. This movie's almost 30 years old now. So the movie ends with a fight between um, Devereaux and Scott at Devereaux's family farm. Right. Which I do want to know how the hell they got the uh, getting, you know, shoved onto the hay baler to work. Well, first I want to know how in the hell uh, the character of Andrew Scott ended up there in the first place because apparently yeah. going over a cliff in a giant uh, semi-truck that hits didn't the ground and then explodes not only didn't kill him, didn't leave didn't a mark him. on him. Like he was fine when he showed up. Yeah. Um. So, but they have a fight and then Devereaux wins. And that kind of ends the movie. Um, right. And the ending that we saw was, like you mentioned, he gets thrown on kind of this baler, uh, this big spiky thing, which was a really cool practical effect. Yeah, it was. It just I want to know, okay, well, who did they actually use? And how much green screen time did they have to use? So this would have been kind of, there wasn't a ton of green screen, although there are some shots like uh, Van Damme on top of the bus when it's getting pushed by the truck right before it goes over yeah. the edge. That was obvious green screen because you're not going to blue screen, whatever. You're not going to put Van Damme on a bus and potentially push him into the Grand Canyon. Um, yeah, no, that, that, <laughs> your insurance company would basically go and have a stroke on you. Uh-huh, exactly. But um, 
that was a lot of practical effects, and then it ends when he puts him actually through the chipper. Um, yeah. Which is pretty gruesome, by the way. Uh, yeah. And I guess was... I read that in Australia that was cut. Like, they just end it with him being in pain. Gee, gee, no kidding. I would have <laughs> cut it too. Um, but the original ending of the movie actually extended beyond that. So after after Luke defeats Andrew Scott, and he's walking, he wa- he goes over to um, Veronica while she's on the ground, and they're laying there. And then he gets up, and his father's comes walking up, and he stands up, and his father's got a shotgun, and then he he says something like "Dad" or "Father" or whatever, and his father shoots him with the shotgun. And then these cars pull up behind him, and it's Jerry Orbach's character that comes out with a bunch of men and says, he's not your real father. Your parents think you died in Vietnam. We're going to keep it that way. And he basically is there to kill Devereaux to to cover up the Universal Soldier program. And so it's a lot darker. Like, they shoot him a bunch. It's a lot darker of an ending. Uh, And apparently it didn't test well, so they, they just cut it. But they also cut like the whole. There was a, there was more with the military, kind of the colonel and whatnot, which is why I think it feels like Jerry Orbach's character in the movie we got is so underutilized because yeah. they had. And if you rem- remember, the first shot they have of him is he's out in the yard or whatever, and his his house, uh, his like house uh, maid comes out and tells him hey there's a couple here and when he turns around to look at Luke who's looking at him out the window the way that shot makes it look very antagonistic uh, type of character instead of how he's sort of framed in the movie we got which is sort of the reluctance uh, the, the, the reluctant scientist that can't believe his experiment got used the way that it did type of thing yeah but that first shot makes him feel like they're setting him up as some sort of a shadowy villain so you can kind of once you hear and read about some of this stuff, you sort of feel that. Um, you can, yeah. Well, so. and I mean, you know, and if they hadn't cut the gritty ending, I mean, we wouldn't have gotten the, what, 30 sequels? Well, we so, so yeah. Oh, the other part of the original ending I forgot. So not only did they have that where Orbox men um, show up and they, they shoot him, and, and but before he can die, the rest of the police show up, um, the actual police, and they arrest him and all that, and Luke lives but he refuses medical treatment. And then there's this long kind of protracted voiceover at the end from Veronica talking about Luke and how he refused medical treatment and lived for a few more weeks on his family farm before dying of natural causes. And it had like a very like Terminator two feel to the end of it, like that kind of voiceover. And it was very, very weird. So they, they cut all that out completely and just had Luke just sort of live happily ever after. Um, yeah. And yeah, see, okay. We got to we got to talk about sequels. Um, this movie didn't need a sequel, right? This is a nice little self-contained story. Yeah. Uh, so they made two sequels in the 90s. Uh, there was Universal Soldier 2 and 3, and they were direct to Showtime, I believe, was the network they were made on, uh, made for TV movies that were designed to be a miniseries and kind of try to go into a series, which I have some thoughts on, but they're bad. They're really bad. They don't have Jean-Claude Van Damme in them, but they have the character of Luke Devereaux. So they have somebody new playing oh. Luke Devereaux in them. 
um, and they're they're not good. Uh, but then, in 1999, they made an actual sequel to this movie called Universal Soldier: The Return, and it brought back Van Damme, and it had Michael Jai White uh, in it, and Bill Goldberg from WCW uh, is in it, and it's also really bad. Um, <laughs> And, and that was actually the last theatrical release for Jean-Claude Van Damme for a film that he starred in until 2009, I think. 08 or 09 when JCVD came out. Um, so Universal Soldier, The Return. Not a good movie. Um, it had the problem of feeling cheap. Um, uh, okay. And so... Yeah. Well, this this movie has like a round a six six and a half stars on like IMDb type of thing, which is about what I would expect for it, right? It's kind of a cult classic, um, but it's not it's not something that people just think is like the greatest film they've ever seen. So it sort of sits yeah. in that six or so range. Universal Soldier: The Return four, <laughs> not not good, but they didn't end there. Oh no, 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 no. Uh, Ten years later. Uh, 2009, Van Damme came back as Luke Devereaux in Universal Soldier Regeneration. Oh, jeez. You know who else is back in that movie? Dolph Lundgren. <laughs> okay. Uh, he's a clone. They go clones. And so they made oh, Universal... Oh, for uh, Well, for Lundgren, at least. It's still the uh, same yeah. Luke Devereaux, but it's uh, they cloned Andrew Scott and brought him back. Um. And they made two of those. There's Universal Soldier Reg- Regeneration and then Day of Reckoning was the sequel to that movie. Um, and Day of Reckoning also has um, Van Damme and Lundgren in it, but Devereaux apparently is no longer the hero in that movie. He becomes a villain, I guess. I don't really know. Um, it's hard to say. Uh, but they are... I hear Regeneration isn't terrible. Um, it's, it's more similar to this movie where it's just kind of being what it is, but then day of reckoning didn't, uh, didn't register too high. Um, so yeah, it's weird. There's actually both more and fewer, uh, sequels to this movie than I thought. Yeah. (laughs) Like there's, there's three theatrically released sequels plus the two made for TV movies totaling five sequels to this movie. Yeah. Which feels like five too many, but also how did this not just get like direct to video sequel after sequel after sequel in like yeah. the, the two thousands uh, is just yeah. amazing to me. So, you know, um, but honestly, I think that this story is intriguing like the it concept it's behind a very it. Story. If none of those movies had existed, including this one, and you were you were taking this idea today, this would be the type of thing that you would want to see in like a ten part series, because yeah. you could sort no, of no. see, you'd see Easily. all those pieces were missing. And the other thing was the dropped military plots. Some of that came from, so. You know, during the 80s, military movies had kind of a 70s and 80s because of the fallout of Vietnam. uh, The military movies weren't looked at as high. Like the military in movies wasn't always looked at the way that it is currently. 
um, in a lot of ways. So this movie started, it feels like it started down that road, but then we kind of had a post desert storm where, no, we're going to make the military look a little bit better in an American film. And so they kind of pivoted on that and dropped, dropped the anti-military. Like, I mean the Colonel, um, what is his name? Colonel Ross, Colonel Perry. Um, sorry, Ed O. Ross is who played him, uh, is definitely a jerk, but you know, he, they could have made him worse. Um, obviously they dropped the whole thing with Dr. Christopher Gregor, Jerry Orbach's character. The scientists I thought were, uh, trying to be on the up and up, uh, with Leon Rippey. And then, uh, who is the guy that played, uh, who is the other scientist? The one, uh, the other one that gets killed by Dolph Lundgren. Uh, with the needle. Um, oh, yeah, him. Um, not Wagner. Although Thomas Rosales Jr. showing up as uh, one of the terrorists in the beginning. That was the other thing. That was the other thing. The The military subplot that I said got dropped was going to have something about the fact that the terrorists at the Hoover Dam were not actually terrorists. And they were... Um, kind of planted in order to make the universal soldier program look better. So it was the military plotting this whole thing. Um, and that again, just sort of got dropped. So yeah, uh, there's, there's some weird and it's, it's odd because like tonally this movie is kind of all over the place. Yeah, it's, it it's, is. The opening scene is very gritty and very dark but then you have like the scene in the diner is very tongue in cheek and almost slapstick. And yeah. that's sort of, again, some kind of trademarks of Roland Emmerich that he's, I guess I would say he's smoothed out over the years to where he balances it a little bit better. Like he still has all yeah. that stuff, but it feels more like he does it movie to movie instead of this one felt like scene to scene sometimes. Yeah. So, you know, there, there is that. Also, this movie has uh, the Jean-Claude Van Damme staple of he's got to show up naked in his movie. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, to be fair, all of the, the, uh, the Unisols showed up naked at some point. That's true, but not all of them had a shot that started at their feet and slowly panned up to show their naked ass. Um, yeah. Standing in front true. of an air conditioner. I yeah, mean, that's true. You know, whatever. You know, he's comfortable with it. That's fine. Um <laughs> But yeah. that was definitely a Van Damme thing. He he did that in a lot of movies. Um, the thing he doesn't do in this one is the splits, which yeah, is true. a Van Damme trait trademark. Is doing the splits in like every movie. And he didn't do it in this one, which kind of a bummer. They they could have worked that in there somewhere. I mean, come on. Um, let's see. Uh, I did think it was funny how the program is supposed to be off the shelf, as he put it, and sort of a a black ops thing yet the press know yeah. all about it. Yeah. It's it's the worst black ops thing I've ever I've ever seen. Yeah. Um so yeah. You know, it, it is that. I again, you got to suspend some disbelief, but but honestly, I think if you do, it's an enjoyable movie for what it is. I just I kind of want more like we said, I want more of the stuff that happened between 1969 and 1994. Yeah. Um, and because they've done successful missions. We're, we're told that at the beginning of the movie, that they've done successful missions. 
but how many of them, how many of the Unisols were from Vietnam or did they get them from other eras? Did they get them from training accidents? How did they recruit that kind of thing? How did they get people involved scientifically? Um, all this kind of stuff. I'm more interested in that than I am kind of the basic chase movie thing that we got, which is where, again, a long-form series where they can stretch that out and tell us these things I think would be cool. Or like a comic series would yeah. have been really neat to see. Um, yeah, this would make a good comic for sure. Yeah, it's a very comic-type plot too. Oh, yeah. All of uh, that. I mean, it's one of those, you, and you haven't made a comic, comic yet of this because why? Yeah. Um, and just the other thing that really bugs me every time I watch this movie is there's weird things that are left that we don't know. Uh, you know, how did Andrew Scott survive that truck falling over and then make it to um, wherever it is unscathed? Like, yeah, to just that- not even touch that subject. Just that's that's like a bridge too far. But it's sort of like... Um, uh, apparently in the original ending, they also mentioned the character of Woodward, which was the one scientist. Like they, yeah. they name drop him at the end of the movie, which tells me that he didn't die when the grenade went off. But we get like that character just dies off screen. Yeah. And that one felt like a, again, it's a character who's been in the movie prominently. You normally don't die off screen when you're that, right. when you're that well known. Um, and it was him and Rolf Moller. It was the the big, the big German uh, Unisol. So that's sort of like they just kind of forgot about them. <laughs> like, oh, that grenade went off. Well, okay, they're dead. So we'll just move on. We won't even have any aftermath of that. Yeah. Um, so that those felt like cutting room floor kind of changes. Um, but again, if you can suspend your disbelief a little bit from some of the silly aspects of it and sort of the the sciency hand waving, um, right. Well, I mean, and, you know, I, to, to be fair, I do still throw on, you know, Independence Day or Day After Tomorrow, you know, just for white noise. You know, yeah. if I need something just campy to listen to while I'm doing something, then, yeah, I'll throw those on, you know. Yeah. Campy is a good way to put it. I think Emmerich does campy stuff really well because, look, Independence Day had one of those moments where, uh, you know, the alien spaceship runs on uh, – something that's compatible with an Apple computer. Yeah, that, that was okay. That no. <laughs> so, you know, it, it, I come to expect that from Roland Emmerich movies, but, but what I do think I see in this movie as well, aside again, uh, B movie, enjoy that part of it is you can see some talent behind the camera as a director. Um, you can see somebody who has an eye for kind of visual spectacle, which he becomes oh, yeah. very known for. Oh, um, yes. I also liked the uh, the behind-the-scenes thing I heard where his um, second unit director and stunt coordinator, um, he just kind of let him do his thing. Like, he didn't, <laughs> like, the stunt stuff, he's just like, you do that. You're good at that. That's why we hired you. And he stayed out of the way. And from a collaboration aspect, I like hearing that because it tells me yeah. it's a director who isn't afraid yeah. to work with other people. Well, yeah, and it's, and, you know, the fact of he being a visual spectacle type director shows, you know, 
pretty much throughout his entire career. And of course, you know, not to spoil anything, but next week's no, no, nothing different. Mm-hmm. I mean, you'll get that all over the place again. So, well, again, I mean, like we said, Stargate, very visually yeah. crazy movie. Independence yeah. Day, Godzilla, um, the day after tomorrow. All of these, all of these are very loud, bombastic movies. So, and again, next week's not going to be any exception. <laughs> but I do you know think, this. yeah, I do think if you have a chance to watch Universal Soldier, I think it's a fun, you know, Saturday. Oh, yeah. no, it's, it's a Saturday fun. afternoon movie, is what it is. It's that old like. The old uh, Saturday afternoon cable movie, right? Yeah. Where it's uh, it's no, raining it's out, you can't go outside. Example, yeah. Now that's exactly what it is. Is the old Saturday afternoon movie to go watch with you know a bunch of of your uh, guy buddies. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Uh, I I do think it, I I mean I think it's a fun movie. It just park your brain at the door because if you think about this at all, it's gonna hurt. Uh, even something yeah, well, as simple as I mean, like I, I, I quickly figured that one out what <laughs> third scene in it's like oh okay when she when uh, Veronica just gets out of the truck and walks Remain up over here on the shelf yeah when she just walks up to the secret military installation and there's just no no security whatsoever yeah she would not have gotten within 10 miles of that place never Ooh. mind 10 yards no, not at all. Not only not that, only not even a hundred miles for that matter. And then you get, um, they go from all the Unisols being in their little cold cryo chamber naked. Within a minute, they are in full fatigues gear, driving that truck, chasing them down. Yeah. And and then her like they have her car or when when he drives off and they they have the wreck like neither one of them survived that wreck. Very, or at least not without severe injuries, and they're just fine. Yeah. So it's like there's all sorts of stuff like that. Like, just don't think about it for too too much. Just kind of yeah. enjoy the silly spectacle of it. It's a it's a goofy sci-fi thing, and I think it's fun. Um, for it that, and, and you know, Van again, Van Dam. One of the things you could say about him is he's like there's unintentional humor, but I think it was somewhat intentional. Um, because when you when you realize it's Roland Emmerich and you watch some of his other movies, he he's always putting this kind of weird humor in his stuff that can feel out of place um, in an action movie, but he's sort of always putting that in there, whether it's Independence Day or Godzilla or whatever movie it is, Day After Tomorrow. Like, he has those moments. Um, but then Van Damme's performance is extremely wooden, but it's sort of supposed to be. Um, yeah. Well, so. and it's... and. It, yeah, I just it, this was an enjoyable movie, and you know the I okay. So this is also one of those few where I actually said F it and skipped in a few places, but they were like, oh hey, we're driving in the middle of the fucking night. Okay, well that's not what I came to watch this thing for. Okay, we're going to just skip that little part. <laughs> like that was the only bit of skipping I did, and normally like. I don't even do that with movies, you know, yeah. it's just, it's just like, okay, well I'm used to the action now. Okay. We're in a boring spot. Okay. No, screw that. Nope. Skip 10 seconds. Okay. We're back to the action now. Okay. We're good. I will say if you skip parts of this movie, you're not missing plot points. So yeah. you're okay. Then. And that's uh, nice. Well, and I, and that was the other thing too. I quickly figured out. It's like, Oh, if I skip, I'm not missing anything. Fantastic. Yeah. Cause the, it's a paper thin plot at best. It's, it's really, 
it really is a chase movie. It's really just Dolph Lundgren. Uh, one thing I did appreciate, though, I do want to mention this real quick, is that they didn't draw out too much of like the they start to have the flashbacks and start to break their programming. It yeah, was, that was, you know, it was like twenty minutes in, and they're already going yeah. that round. And I I appreciated that to be honest. Yeah. So yeah, I mean that's Universal Soldier. I think it's a movie worth checking out uh, for sure if you can oh, yeah. find it. Um, and again, you see some of the early kind of uh, Roland Emmerich ness showing up. It's not. Oh yeah. It's less of a Roland Emmerich movie than say his next one, which was Stargate. But what this movie did was it made money. And it made enough money, one, that it got a bunch of sequels, for better or for worse. But it also allowed this young German director, after his first Hollywood movie, to then get to kind of pick the projects that he wanted to do. And like him or or not, like that, I am uh, immensely impressed with Roland Emmerich has just been able to make the movies he wants to make. I don't don't always like his movies, but at the same time, like, hey, you do you, buddy, you know? Keep keep yeah. it up. Keep doing what you do, and if he enjoys doing it, all the better. You know he's having a good time. Yeah, I mean, and and you know, and like I said, I enjoyed Stargate. I actually loved Stargate. I do Let's too. Let's not kid ourselves. Uh, and you know, it also spawned its own TV series. So you know, um, yep. But like uh, Independence Day, and then um, Day After Tomorrow. Yeah, I enjoyed those. Were they a little bit out of out there? Yeah. Yeah, but a I still bit. just a for sure, bit. for sure. Um, I actually am kind of interested in his one anonymous about um, uh, uh, William Shakespeare. Um, that one intrigues me a little bit. Um, Is that one that's coming up? No, that came out in 2011. It's about 10 years old now. It was right okay. after. Uh, it was it was his next movie after 2012, and okay. it uh, stars Reese Efens as Earl of Oxford. Yeah, because 2012 was a little bit much for me. I mean, granted, you know, don't don't get me wrong. It had um, um, John Oliver Platt. Oh, Oliver no, Platt. Well, right, no, right, right, right. Oliver Platt, because I mean, you know, that's that was one that was one of his his more interesting roles. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I I don't know. It sounds like it'd be an interesting movie to watch. Yeah, Anonymous looks interesting. I hear White House Down is very much exactly what you expect it to be. And, well, yeah. You know, I'm fine with that. Like, And I think that's the thing with Emmerich is it's rare that I see Roland Emmerich directed this movie. I'm like, oh, okay, well, I, I, I'm, I'm not sure what that's going to be like. I have a pretty good idea of what he's going to do. And yeah. that's fine. It's he. I put him in a category... Uh, and this is not derogatory, and I'm not putting down any of these directors, but I put him in a category of directors like a Michael Bay, where yes. I know what I'm getting when I watch a yeah. movie directed by Roland Emmerich. Yeah. So I'm not necessarily let down by it. I just I can I can set my expectations at the right level where I'm not watching a movie like White House Down thinking I'm going to see this phenomenally nuanced thing. That's just not what he does. And that's fine. Right. We need just silly popcorn entertainment sometimes. So, you know, that's, oh, yeah. that's what that is. Well, and then, like, you know, with with what you, say, what you were saying at the beginning of the, the show, 
uh, with Moonfall coming, or maybe it was before, but with Moonfall coming, I just read this, the summary for that, and that's actually really intriguing to me. It's like, okay, you know, this might be something I want to go see. Mm-hmm. I mean, granted, with it being an Emmerich, Roland Emmerich movie, I know what I'm going to be getting, Yeah, but still, at least the plot, you know, hopefully won't be as paper thin. <laughs> well, we can hope so. We can hope so. And Ace in the chat does bring up a good point. You know what just suspended my disbelief? They're all American soldiers played by a German, a Belgian, and a Swede. Well, yeah. the German soldier, yeah, the, yeah. the German actor had his voice, I'm pretty sure had his voice dubbed. Uh, Dolph Lundgren's American accent's better than people give him credit for. I It's passable. I'd believe that he was an yeah. American soldier. And yes, Van Damme has an accent thicker than pea soup. I get that. Um, <laughs> you know, so... That is what it is, but they make him from I mean, the, the body. But it works. They make it work, though. That's the yeah, thing. Exactly. So you're right. You got to suspend that disbelief. But hey, with everything else you're suspending disbelief for in this movie, that's not uh, it's not a trip too far to make. So No. No, it's not. Well, Nisbet, I want to say thank you uh, for being on. This is fun. Thank um, you. And I, we've... I know it's been a while, but yes, this has been fun again. It has, and uh, and I know we uh, have made allusions to it a couple times, but you're going to come back next week. Yes. And we're going to talk about another Roland Emmerich movie, but it's yes, this one, this one's a bit newer. This is 2019's Midway, and uh, I've never seen it before. 2019? So. I always forget. Is it 2019? Yeah. Okay. Because, like, my brain always forgets if it's 2019 or whatever, so. Um, uh, yeah, Midway, 2019. That was his most recent film oh, yeah. uh, prior oh, to... Yeah. The one that's coming out, Moonfall. So, yeah, just before COVID hit. Yeah, uh, I've I haven't seen it, so I'm kind of I'm yeah. I'm interested. Uh, uh, and... It's good. It's good. Uh, I don't really know. Did you ever see the 1970s version of Midway? No, I did not. Which means I probably should watch that too. Yes, you should. All right. Well, I'll probably I will probably end up watching both of them uh, before next week. Then you have a little bit more homework than I do. This week, <laughs> so. That's fine. That's fine. It's good for me to have to do some work every once in a while, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it, and I will say, well, and I'll repeat this next week too, but this is, his Midway is one of the few movies that does as well, if not better than the original with the treatment of the material. Hmm. Interesting. All right. In my well, opinion. I mean, um, when, it, when it comes to that. I'm all ears. So, yeah. That's fair. It is. Uh, so this show, um, I record on Sunday nights, typically, uh, 8 p.m. Eastern time at twitch.tv slash TV's Travis. You can uh, come be like Ace uh, in the chat. And is, but you're in the chat all the time uh, when you're not on the show, which is cool. Yeah. And sometimes even like today, I'm still in the chat when I'm sure. on. Absolutely. But you can watch the, the show live. Uh, it comes out as a podcast on Wednesdays, anywhere you get podcasts. Uh, if you do listen to it on one of the services like Apple or Spotify, if you can leave a, a rating or a review, that helps the show be more discoverable. Um, so that's always a help. If you want to support uh, the show in a financial way, you can actually do that now at Kofi, ko-fi.com slash TV's Travis. That helps this show. That helps Let's Watch Highlander that I do on Tuesday nights with Audie Norman. Um and, uh, and it's wonderful. So if you can do that, I, I appreciate it. If not, I fully understand. There's all, all sorts of other ways to support the show, um, mostly by just spreading the word, telling, telling people about it. If you enjoy what we're doing here, chatting about movies, um, let people know. 
Uh, and like I said, next week is Midway. And then uh, the week after that, I'm watching Good Morning Vietnam with my friend Steven. And I can't wait for that because oh, be I love that movie. So That's, that should be a good one. It really, really should. Um, but yeah, let's do this again next week. How's that sound? Yes, sounds all, good. All right. Well, until next week, until Nisbet and I come back and talk about Midway, um, enjoy your movies, everybody. And we're coming into 2022, so let's be excellent to each other. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>